welcome back to the BMJ Innovations podcast. I'm Dr. Helen Serrana, one of the associate editors at BMJ Innovations, and I'm your host. We hope you'll subscribe, like and review the podcast wherever you are listening to it. And do share on your own networks because we'd like as many people to hear it as possible. BMJ Innovations is grateful to WISH, the World Innovation Summit for Health, for making this podcast series possible. So in this first series, we're bringing you interviews from some of the world's top leaders in innovation. And coming up today, it's my conversation with Jean Name, who I spoke to over Zoom back in June this year, 2021. He's a surgeon with an amazing track record as an entrepreneur, co-founder of Touch Surgery, which has now been acquired by Medtronic, where he serves as vice president for strategic partnerships. He's also the co-CEO of a special purpose acquisition company, and we talk about that. So if you're interested in how to grow companies, make an impact and define your purpose as an entrepreneur, I think you'll be really inspired. I started, though, by asking him what had attracted him to surgery in the first place. The great thing about surgery was, you know, if someone broke something or if someone had an injury, then you could fix it. And the the impact was very quick. And that's kind of the reason why I went into medicine, the reason I went into surgery. And so you didn't stay a surgeon. Maybe you could talk a little bit about your training to be a surgeon and and how that inspired what you did next. Yeah, I guess when you're in medicine, the pressure is on to publish and do research and do lots of work. In the process of thinking about surgery, I stumbled upon this opportunity to bring technology that was specifically digital into surgery at the time. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, for me, that was the point of realization that, you know, you can expand the field of surgery through the power of computers and computation. Yeah. And some of that technology that you developed as a training tool is is now being used as part of developing the world of actual surgery itself with as you as you mentioned not just vr but ai and robotics as well yeah so what we you know what we focused on was if you could build a structure and a data structure that could train surgeons Mm -hmm. then could you use that same framework to start training computers and the principle was you know computer vision is is something that's been applied in the world of self-driving cars and we're now right at the beginning of really starting to apply that same framework into surgery and contextualizing surgical information. So I think it's pretty exciting. And I think that, you know, robotics has been around for a while now within surgery, but, you know, ultimately the robots are going to get smarter. And, you know, ultimately, you know, those smarter robots are going to be delivering, well, well not, I don't think they'll be delivering care per se, but I think they will, will be reducing error and reducing risk. Right. So the interesting thing that you've you've done really is build a company and and gone on to build other companies. How did you go about it? How hard was it? I think back, one of the most difficult challenges when you're starting something is actually starting. I think the first kind of really big milestone in terms of mindset is is really becoming. Yeah, confident that there's you know, something for you to build, mm-hmm. right? And then I think the second thing is, you know, once you you have that confidence yourself, it's about convincing others to join you on that journey and want to 
you know, share in the difficulty of starting something and want to contribute their skills and their time to it. And some of those people are going to be direct team members. And some of those people are going to be investors or people who are going to you know, help support the, you know, the building from a financial perspective. Yeah. So just talk about the team around you. And I'm particularly interested in the sort of non-technical medical side of it, the investors and the business people. What sort of people and what sort of skill set or do you need to bring around you either directly or convinced to, to invest with you? Yeah, I think, you know, choosing the people that you want to spend your time with is probably the the kind of benchmark that I think about. Surrounding yourself with people with a different perspective and a different lens, I think is really important. And some of them are going to invest capital and less of their time and, and therefore more financial, but, you know, you'll still be, you know, engaging and interacting with them. And then some of them are going to be people who can invest their time and their career, which is a big responsibility. And so when you were growing Touch Surgery, what are the different people that you got involved in growing that company? People, who are the people who invested their, their careers with, with you, as it were? So we had folks who had spent their time in the world of animation and movies who you know, were building you know, and, and making movies like Toy Story. And yeah, we had folks who were engineers who were both on you know, the back-end infrastructure, you know, the, the folks who would essentially do all the plumbing of databases, you know, the, the, the connectivity to cloud and to compute. We had folks who were designers, we had researchers, we had data analysts and data scientists, and then we had a you know, team of artificial intelligence folks and electronics folks. So it was a pretty poor team, huge, huge diversity in knowledge. And then you know, the commercial folks with marketing experience and sales experience. And the diversity of the team, I think, was important because it created communication streams between different members of the team who were solving different problems, which was really exciting to see. And, uh, you know, it was, I think, some of the most exciting parts of building a business was, you know, you've seeded this idea, you've started it. It kind of came from a few people around the table to now a team of 100 plus people who were really spending their time discussing and, you know, solving for problems. Yeah, absolutely. So when you started, what, what was your goal? And did that change as, as you grew as a company? I think when I, when I started, the goal was, you know, always to try and really impact surgery, mm-hmm. right, in, a, in the most meaningful possible way. And, you know, for us, impact on surgery was centered around almost kind of being involved in as you know as as many procedures as many operations as possible and that remains the goal today that's never changed yeah all right but then you know at different times of an evolution of a company and a product you know sometimes the goal is just to survive right yeah. and to figure out how to you know keep the lights on and then sometimes the goal is to find people who are going to solve big challenges and problems that we had, but they're, they're all going to be on a day-to-day and on a month-to-month basis, you know, really specific goals you're trying to solve. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about the the acquisition and how that came about? How long was it in the in the process of discussion? How, how much consultation was going on before the acquisition occurred? Yeah. I mean, the, the acquisition, you know, happened 
because there was a real alignment around vision and opportunity. It just made sense that you know doing this would allow us to go faster, would allow us to achieve more in terms of our overarching ability to impact surgery, and that's why you know it ended up happening. So you know my advice to people who are thinking about acquisitions or when want to understand this, it's 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 really a a coming together of minds and a coming together of people, right, to achieve bigger things. I've also noticed that you're involved in a SPAC. Can you just explain that, please? Yes. So a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company, which essentially is a, a company that's set up to raise investment, to be listed in a public market with the aim of acquiring a privately listed business and therefore turning that private listed business into a publicly listed business. You know, our aim as a, as a partnership and a group is to you know, work with best-in-class companies and individuals and teams who are really focused on bringing computational power into healthcare. So that's how it emerged. And right now we're, you know, we're out kind of uh, looking at different companies and you know, we're excited to meet with lots of different people. You, you said you're sort of in the exploratory phase, meeting a lot of different people. What qualities are you looking for in, in both the people involved in a company and also sort of the idea and, and, and what's driving them? I, I think you know, what we're looking for is, you know, inspiring leaders and, you know, groups of individuals and team members that are really focused on solving big problems. And, you know, those problems have got to be, you know, healthcare. Based. And those problems have got to be problems that will benefit from the power of computing. And so, you know, we've seen the power of computing solve problems in lots of different industries. So, you know, you've got the autonomous driving vehicles that are now slowly starting to make their way to the road. But I know a lot of that technology is already embedded in some of these cars. And, you know, we've seen the power of computing solve problems like logistics and search. And so we think a lot more is going to happen in healthcare. Obviously, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the surgical field, have an idea which is a thing and a product that's really easy to sort of show people, get out of your bag and, and say, look, I've thought of this. Can you invest or whatever? But within computing and technology, it, it's a lot more subtle, isn't it? it? The opportunities might not be very obvious. What do you think are the biggest areas where we're going to see change in the next sort of 20, 30 years? I think we're going to see a lot of change, right? Mm. I think we're going to see a, a shift of healthcare to being more outside of the hospital. And that, you know, is a shift that's already started to happen, but it's, it's still really early. I mean, telehealth is such an early business and there's a lot more to come. I think logistically, there's going to be an entire infrastructure that delivers kind of care very differently to the way that we're receiving it right now. And, you know, one such example is, you know, I don't think we're going to be, you know, we, we haven't been, but, you know, I don't think we're going to be doing blood tests in hospitals or, you know, GPs. I think we're going to be able to do these things at home. I think mm. we'll be able to measure biological markers at home in different ways. I think that hospitals are going to become way more efficient. Um, there's a lot of inefficiencies within hospital care, and that leads to a lot of waste. So I think there's going to be a lot more efficiency within hospital care. I think we're going to biologically solve really big problems that we haven't been able to solve so far. 
you know, we have treatments for cancer, but we don't have curative treatments for many cancers. I think what we've seen with mRNA, I think is going to expand beyond its initial application in just COVID vaccines. I think it, it will expand significantly. And so there's a lot of change that I think is going to come to healthcare. And I also think that a lot of that change is going to, you know, healthcare has been realized as such an important you know, foundation of, of functioning societies that, you know, was somewhat recognized by, you know, this COVID pandemic, mm. and that just more and more investments going to come, kind of come into this space. You know, when we were fundraising as a business, you know, we used to struggle because, you know, people with capital used to think of surgery as niche. Mm. Right. Mm. Surgery is not niche. Surgery is a you know is a three trillion dollar business. And you know, healthcare, you know, is a nine trillion dollar business in the US. So I think that is going to, to really drive a lot of change. Uh, and I think that a lot of people have been woken up to the opportunities of fixing and uh, solving healthcare problems. And so that's why I think the next decade is going to be a really interesting decade in, in deep science and, and healthcare. Yeah. One of the issues that people often talk about, or one of the criticisms that entrepreneurs or innovators have is that their innovation is great, but actually these new ideas and things can really drive inequalities globally, particularly, but also within countries to, between those people who have, have the access and those who don't. Is, is that a fair criticism? And if it is, what are the solutions to it? So, yeah, the, the, the status quo today is that we don't have healthcare equality. And I think that should be the guiding principle for any company, any entrepreneur, anyone listening to think through as they build and try and solve solutions. You know, how do I make this solution a solution that creates more healthcare access, not less? And I think that's really important. And it's the responsibility of, you know, all of us to make sure that the right things come through. And, mm. and you know, we hold to account, you know, everybody who's building technology that's going to have a direct impact on patients. And just on that regulation front, I think it's a, it's a really interesting one that we'll always struggle with because it's a chicken and egg kind of situation is that you, you can't regulate something sensibly that hasn't been invented yet. And so are there better ways that innovators and regulators can work together to ensure that sort of common good and pr protection of the public where needed? Yeah, I mean, regulators are ultimately teams of people. And so I think the first thing you have to ask yourself, and I, I think this is changing and has changed, right, is who are the people that are on the other side, right? Who are the regulators and do they have the skill sets? Regulation is about putting, you know, patient safety and patient welfare first, but about having competence of skill sets and knowledge on both sides of the table that, you know, allow good frameworks to be used and adopted to make sure that you know, anything created is is going to you know, make you know an outcome better or make something more efficient of but of equal outcome. Yeah. So you know I'm I'm pro regulation that is efficient. And you know I think regulators need to you know have access to resources and you know, have the, the capacity and the teams to be able to you know assess technologies in in deep and intricate ways. So. Mm. Are there any sort of regulatory organizations you've had 
dealings with that you think thought well that was smooth brilliant and these people know what i'm doing <laughs> yeah i think the fda is doing a great job right now right i mean they've they've been very quick on recognizing how the you know, artificial intelligence is going to be kind of more and more embedded into devices mm-hmm. and you know i think they're you know, they're really starting to accelerate and you know we we saw the impact of efficient regulation in the context of covid mm. i mean Everybody who's dealt with regulation and dealt with complexity of healthcare didn't believe that there would be a vaccine within 12 months. You know, there, there, there is a good example of it, how I think it could work and how it did work. Yeah, very positive. And just sort of broadening slightly onto sort of how innovation touches with, with other areas of medicine and healthcare is, is in our interest from BMJ Innovation's side. What value do you think there is in publishing ideas and at what stages do you think there is value for innovators and entrepreneurs building companies building building ideas yeah look i think evidence and publishing ideas a way to you know achieve three things right the first is you know it's a way to kind of reach out to the scientific and broader science and medical community to kind of critique an idea, but also to inform them, right? Mm -hmm. So it's about that reach, right? Secondly, I think it's about, to my earlier point about finding people, you know, I think when people hear about you, they reach out, you know, some of the best hires that we made were people who reached out to us because they were interested and actually they were mission aligned to what we wanted to do. And their opening email was like, look, I've just read about, what you guys are doing and this is completely in line with what I want to do and how can I get involved? Hmm. And then I think the third thing is having evidence to demonstrate that what you say you do is what you do. You know, I think it's going to become you know, more and more important. And so, you know, getting into the, into the, the DNA of your business and of your innovation, getting that into your DNA of publishing Evidence, I think, is critical from day one. So lots of publications are out there to assess and evidence the the, uh, value of what we were making. And did those um, publications make a difference when you were having discussions with with investors and and the fact that 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 publication was out there? Did that that help? Having evidence to demonstrate that what you say you do is what you do, it's always helped to have evidence out there. And this is why, you know, I actually reached out to BMJ and got involved um, with BMJ Innovations is because, you know, I think that anyone building kind of technology should be publishing and should be, and it needs the right framework and the right, you know, journal or the right press out there to help support those publications. And, you know, and so, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in it, both in terms of kind of having it as core in your DNA, but also in terms of, you know, the opportunities it does create for for entrepreneurs. Huge thanks to Jean Name for his time. And just a reminder that that interview was recorded in June 2021. So some things might have changed. There are links to some of the organisations and companies that Jean mentions in the show notes. Next week, we're off to Vietnam to talk to Louise Thwaites, who's a clinical research and innovation leader. 
talking about innovating at the coalface of intensive care with real patients alongside engineers. Do listen to understand how she balances the priorities of excellent, rigorous research with trying new ideas. And please help us reach more innovating ears by liking, subscribing, reviewing and sharing wherever you get the chance. BMJ Innovations is grateful to the World Innovation Summit for Health, WISH, for making this podcast series possible. It was produced and presented by me, Helen Serrana, for BMJ Innovations and is editorially independent. If you have any comments or questions, do get in touch via social media or info.innovations at bmj.com. Thanks for listening.